Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions. This is our summer skill building series. I'm talking about developing our kiddos' emotion regulation skills. This is everything from anxiety, anger, disappointment, sadness, all of those big emotions that our kiddos feel. Today, I'm talking about raising self-awareness because without that self-awareness, there's still no skill development. There's still no skill practice, right? They're not using skills that they do have. This is really one of the biggest barriers when we look at self-regulation and emotion regulation because oftentimes kids aren't even aware that they're on the brink of an emotional meltdown, right? They're not even aware that they're engaging in problematic behavior. And oftentimes, even if they do go and punch somebody in the face, they're so angry, they're just thinking about, what that other person has done, right? And they're feeling justified in that. They're not noticing at all what's going on for them in their body and in their mind and, and, and even just around them. Um, other barriers to independence, of course, the fact kiddos might possess skills for sure, but they're not able to use those skills when they need them, especially our kiddos with executive functioning deficits um, or differences, you know, with ADHD, for example, a lot of times they know what they're supposed to do or not do. They, they, they have the skills, they have the understanding, they just can't use them at that point of performance. They can't execute them, right? Um, the environment, I've talked a lot about setting up the environment a whole month just on parents, you know, being able to co-regulate, but there's the environment, there's external contingencies, those are also barriers. So let's dig into some of this, especially with that self-awareness, okay, because that's a key piece without it, nothing else, it doesn't matter what we're going to work on. When we look at the self-regulation in general, it's really kiddos' ability to process, to think about, to respond in helpful ways to whatever's happening internally, externally, their thoughts, their feelings, their impulses. So they have some control over their behaviors, except though, when I've mentioned in previous episodes, when they're flooded emotionally, they don't have any control most of the time and certainly not the same level of control when they're calm and rational and thinking through things, right? Unfortunately, uh, there's just so many kids and even teens and young adults, and I would say even adults, older adults, um, that they, they really don't have that awareness, right? They don't even realize that they're experiencing anxiety or the stress or the frustration or anger, the big emotions, because it's so entrenched in their everyday part of life, right? Maybe their feelings of, of being scared of bugs is normal. Teens, stress is often very normalized for them. They just think that it's normal to feel these high levels of arousal of stress. And certainly with anxiety, we see that, that they're just always anxious. That's just how, aren't we supposed to function that way? Needing to do things perfectly is normal, right? So looking at those pieces, they're not even aware that maybe this isn't actually normal. So a lot of our kiddos are often unaware. And when they are unaware, we need to explicitly teach that awareness skills. It's not just telling them to calm down and telling them to use the strategies. If they don't have the awareness of when they need to use those strategies in the first place, that's going to be a problem, right? So the skill of identifying when I'm upset, the skill of identifying what strategies I need to use right now before I get upset, using how do I apply those skills in the first place when I'm upset, right? If you listen to me before, you've likely heard me say that talking does not change behavior. That's not how we re rewire the brain. We can't simply just tell our kids to calm down, just simply tell them don't hit your brother, right? Because we know 
it's going to happen again. If you've had to repeat yourself once, you're probably going to have to repeat yourself twice. We just know that they just can't listen and talk about it and then all of a sudden be successful. Okay. Talking does not make a difference. We need to teach. We need to scaffold. We need to supervise. So I'll get into what that looks like, but I got to say it does take work. And so if you're working with kiddos in the classroom, if you're working with parents, it does take work. And there's a lot of preloading that needs to be done. If you are a parent, there's a lot of preloading that needs to be done. So for our kiddos to be successful with these skills, we adults, whoever the adult is, we need to do a lot of that front loading. Right. And, and across contexts, it's really helpful to have a team of people, you know, the school team. This is what we're doing at school. This is what we're doing at home. This is what we're doing at daycare or after school care. Right. All of that's going to be helpful that we're doing that front loading across contexts so that we can help them be successful faster. Then we can ease off. You know, we, we need a lot of structure and support for them to be successful in the first place. Then we can ease off once they become more independent with these skills. So when we're looking at the emotion regulation piece and emotion regulation challenges, these kiddos, especially if there are executive functioning challenges, most of the time, things like I said, ADHD, autism, emotion regulation is the key area of challenge that they have difficulties with, right? So these kiddos, they need far more intense intervention, hands-on experience, concrete representations, step-by-step -step support. And this is definitely true too, if there's big anxiety, any, any kiddo with, with big emotion challenges and regulating that emotion, that's what they need. Their needs are going to change over time, but they still need to have ongoing support. And, and, and we're going to build those skills. They're going to get more complex as they get older. So first of all, kiddos need to learn about their brain. I have a video on explaining anxiety to kiddos, and I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can have access to that. You can even just show kids that so that they can explain anxiety and big emotions. Um, even if it's not anxiety per se, you can still watch the video, even though I'm talking about anxiety. It's really just replace it for any big emotion, right? And you can really talk about any emotion like I said, what, but really about what's happening in the brain. That's the focus on. So that amygdala, it's the fire alarm in our brain. Okay. It's getting signals all the time. And again, just like a fire alarm in our house, it's taking messages all the time. It doesn't know that you've just burnt your toast versus the house is on fire. It's going to ring the alarm. And so that amygdala is taking in messages, anything that alerts it, that it could be an emergency, it takes over and it sends all these chemicals out into the body. It helps the, those chemicals mix with the worried thoughts or the angry thoughts. So we're creating all these thoughts and these stories and all of that leads to the reactive behaviors. So do check out that video and, and just to get kids up to speed with what's happening in their brain. That's the first piece is just even having understanding. This is part of my compass too, is understanding anxiety, understanding emotions. We want to externalize that amygdala, amygdala and all of its henchmen. So the amygdala is in there. It's always there. It's like I said, that, that fire alarm, just like in our house, we can't get rid of it. But there's all of these different henchmen that like to take control of the amygdala and like to, you know, cause chaos and, and ring that alarm. It's like pulling the false, the, the fire alarm, you know, just doing a, a trick. We've got all these henchmen in there. So we want to externalize them. Perfectionist Paula, self-critical Carla, um, self-defeating Sam, whatever it is, we want to make sure that we're externalizing those henchmen. So now we can work as a team against these pesky henchmen who are always trying to, you know, 
ring that fire alarm. So it's really giving those henchmen a name. I love Loki, right? It's the Loki's a trickster, the god of mischief, likes to cause chaos, can be helpful sometimes, but is usually pretty self-serving. Um, I do talk a lot about the externalization piece in my Anxiety Compass program. So if you want to deep dive into that, certainly check that out. But that's what we need to do. Once we have that understanding, we want to externalize those henchmen and what's happening, what's trying to take over that fire alarm and pull that fire alarm. And then from there, we can now get into building self-awareness, which is the focus for today. I love doing video modeling. Um, I'll do an episode on video modeling in the future on how to set that up. That'll be, you know, not part of this skill buildings, but really video modeling, it's just a great way to build awareness where they're actually watching themselves. I usually have them though, maybe watch other kids, you know, on a YouTube video, or maybe parents will do a little skit and just show of my, those henchmen are ringing the alarm and taking over the emotions, right? But eventually getting, oh yeah, okay, mom, I can see that your amygdala is triggered right there. I can see that your face is getting, you know, furrowed. It's getting scrunched up and you started yelling. That's how I know that the alarm was triggered, right? But eventually we want to get to where they're watching themselves and they can start rating how they're feeling. Ooh, right there. I can tell that I'm starting to get agitated there, right? So like I said, First, watching videos of other kids or teens or adults um, and having them label how they think the person's feeling, how they know what the person's reactions are. Are they helpful reactions? Are they not helpful reactions to respond to their emotions? Um, and again, talking about that trickster henchmen that are trying to trick that amygdala to fire off its alarm, right? And how that's getting in the way for the person. So then we can start asking, when does that tricky gremlin or Loki like to rear its ugly head for our own kiddos that we're working with, or, or if they're our own children, what makes it stronger, right? When does it show up? A lot of times we don't even necessarily know, but, but there are times we just know, okay, whenever bugs show up, whenever my brother shows up, whenever I'm told to turn off the a video game, it shows up, right? So we're getting kids to think about what those triggers are. That can be really helpful. I don't like getting stuck in the content and focusing on the triggers. If you know me, we don't necessarily need to, but it's building the awareness. That's why we're looking at triggers for right now. It's just building that awareness. Oh, and I, I love doing predictions. I predict that tonight at eight o'clock that my fire alarm is going to be rung and it's probably going to be what if Wes is ringing that alarm? What if a monster comes and grabs me, right? And this is what's going to happen. So there's going to be some really obvious ones that happen daily. If they're already scared about going to bed every single night, then we know that that's going to be, you know, a problem. When sister touches my stuff, right? Or when Susie laughs at me on the playground, we just know that those are obvious ones. Um, so there's going to be normal and anxiety provoking situations like riding in an elevator, flying bugs, there's going to be normal anger, frustration kind of things that come up when my brother messes with my stuff, right? Uh, so knowing context can be helpful too. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's locations, right? Sometimes kids know that they can do things when they're at home, like I can sing or do a presentation at home in front of my parents, but I can't do it in class, right? I can talk on my phone or talk on the phone to grandma and grandpa when I'm at home with my parents, but I can't do a video call with them when I'm on my own, for example, right? So sometimes in some situations they can do something. Um, I can keep my cool when my brother messes with my stuff when I'm at grandma and grandpa's house, but 
definitely not at home. So looking at those contexts can be helpful too. Where are they successful? Where is it harder? What's the difference between those things? So we're really getting them to start thinking about those experiences. And I'm also asking kiddos all the time, um, you know, like I said, the prediction of when is it going to take over next? Give me a time, give me a place, give me the situation. Now we're getting on offense. That's why we're doing that, right? So, oh man, for sure tonight at eight o'clock, because it's going to make me think that something's going to jump out and grab me when I, well, when I sleep, right? So when eight o'clock rolls around, now they can be like, ah, I told Caroline, you're going to show up now. I knew this was the story, right? I knew exactly what you were going to say. I knew exactly what was going to happen in my body. So that's why we want to externalize it, right? When we're externalizing it, we're starting to raise awareness. Now, there's five key parts of emotion that our amygdala and all those henchmen is going to throw at us. And we can start watching out for all of those five pieces. And this is how we start bringing up awareness. And that's why the understanding piece is so important to start with, because now we can take that understanding and start to apply it to start exposing big feelings whenever they show up. Right. And I'm going to go through this quickly, but I just wanted to show you that there are things to look for. Again, I deep dive into this more in my anxiety compass training program, but I, I do want to give you this overview because once kids are aware of what's happening with those big emotions and, and how they're getting the, in the way of things, you know, when you punch your brother in the face, what happens? Oh, well, I get in trouble. I get my electronics taken away. Do you think that that's a helpful thing for you? No, I hate it. Okay, so do you want to be the master over these little henchmen or do you want them to keep getting you in trouble, right? So we want to make sure that they also have that awareness of this isn't actually serving me at all. And we want to show them when I use my words, when I get along nicely with my brother, that's actually in my favor. That's actually a good thing, right? And so then they can start to learn to respond more effectively. So we need to play detective here. So we're going to start by using a recent emotional event. Again, it could be um, sadness, it could be anxiety, it could be anger, but it could also be happiness or an excited emotion, right? So any emotional event that has happened. So you might want to go through the process yourself or do it as a family, right? Or as a group. So it's not just the, the child, but definitely alongside them um, and get them to start thinking about it because they often have trouble thinking of it as they go and they don't want to feel like I'm the only one. So if you're doing it sort of in a group situation, if you're in a classroom, it could be, let's talk about a big emotional event you guys had, right? Let's talk about this as a class. Once you have that clear memory, you can start investigating the different components of emotion. There's five that I'm going to talk about, but I'm really going to talk about the most important key pieces that you can get started on working on right away because they do get a little bit more complex. So today I'm going to go over the physiological piece and the cognitive awareness. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the behavioral awareness. And those are the key three that I'm going to talk about of the five. So like I said, the first component is the physiological awareness. So the physiological piece can be so hard for our kids. And I find I'm working on that so much, even with my teens and adults, right? They have a really hard time connecting with their bodies. Um, they've just become so disconnected and they don't have that interoceptive sort of understanding of what's going on. And it's amazing just to see how many of our kiddos don't know what calm feels like. They don't even know, especially if they've just got this overall arousal of tension, anxiety, of stress, of irritability. They just don't know what calm feels like. So for some, a lot of kiddos, it's just helping them figure out what calm versus tense mean. So you could do like, 
okay, let's start with your, your upper body or just your fists, you know, clench it up as tight as you can feel. What does that feel like? Where do you feel that pressure? And then relax. And then, you know, pair, pair a cue word with the relaxed body, like relax or melt. And maybe you're massaging their hand just to feel it get, you know, loose and limpy and notice what's the difference between that tension and that relaxation. Oftentimes we need to explicitly teach that because they just don't understand. So that's the easiest way for them. If they really don't have a good understanding of what's happening in their body to start telling the difference is tensing up different parts of their body as tight as possible and then letting it go. Um, and like I said, give a little massage. Sometimes I'll do pillow squishes. Maybe it's just shaking out your arm, just shake it out, just shake all that tension away and just let it sit there, right? Have them visualize that muscle just completely letting go. It's like a, a, a cooked noodle, it just gets loosey goosey. So we, we want to make sure that we're teaching those kinds of things. Now to connect physiologically, I, I, and sure, it's a family practice. It's not just a kiddo practice. So it's a family practice. It's a classroom practice where every day we're going to check in with our body. And so we're going to take a moment. So if you're always eating dinner, you know, if a family always eats dinner together, maybe that's when it is. If they always do bedtime routine, maybe it's at bedtime, but it's noticing what's happening in their body. If they feel a headache, you know, they're saying, okay, I can feel my head. That's what I'm feeling right now. What does the sensation feel like? Okay. It's achy. Maybe it's tight. It feels pounding, right? Um, clenching. It could be pressure. So just being able to name that. And there's lots of different things that you can do. You can just choose a body part. Okay. Everybody, what does your chin feel like right now? Pay attention to your chin and everyone really needs to pay attention. What do you, what do you feel? Maybe it's sweaty. It's hot. It's tingly. What does that look like? Or it could just be feel what, what body part do you feel the most right now? Or ideally what we want to get to is identify, how are you feeling right now? And where do you feel that feeling? So if you're feeling tired, where are you feeling that? Maybe is it in your arms? I really like using a thermometer analogy for kiddos, just to start paying attention to what's happening in their body for different feelings of irritability, of anxiety, of disappointment, whatever that is. Visuals really help make emotions. Emotions are very abstract which is hard even for my young adults and definitely for children. So visuals can take that really abstract sort of concept, and make it very concrete. So doing that step alone can really help them feel like they've got some control over the emotions. And that's an important first step in coping effectively is I've got awareness and I feel like I have a little bit of control just by bringing awareness. So I have a visual of this is what calm feels like. It's warm. It's loose. I'm melted. This is how I know behaviorally what I'm, you know, maybe I've got a smile. I'm just sitting calmly. My body is, is quiet, sitting calmly. I'm focused on what I'm doing. Right. And then I start to feel a little bit irritated or a little bit nervous but I'm still in control. So maybe I'm feeling a little bit of tightness in my chest or a little bit of butterflies in my stomach. And now maybe I'm looking up a little bit more, right? That's the behavioral piece. So just paying attention. What's the next level from calm? Maybe it's just, I'm looking up and I'm thinking I'm, I'm worried a little bit, and then I'm getting a little bit more nervous. I'm not sure how I'm going to cope with it. I'm not sure if I can handle it. Right. And so I can really feel that pressure in my chest or in my head. 
And so they're not going to have the ability to do it in the moment. It's really hard for them. And that's where the video modeling can be really helpful. When did you notice? When were you calm? Show me when you're calm, calm, calm. Okay, what's happening here? What's happening here? If we can get some videotapes of that, that can be really helpful. So we got to identify how else emotions are showing up in the body, right? So it's really getting them to listen to their bodies. That's so important. And so that's why I start just every day having check-in points first thing in the morning, maybe when you brush your teeth. I mean, the more you do it throughout the day, the faster it's going to come. If you just do it once, that's fine, but it's just doing it proactively. We're not waiting for them to get upset and trying to figure it out. For right now, it's just getting into the habit of, oh yeah, dropping into the body. How is it feeling? You know, this is what's going on. Um, I always tell our kiddos that our stomachs are smarter than our brains because there's billions more neurons in our stomach than in our brain, right? Because our nervous system is always looking out for danger. And so it's always, you know, telling us in our bodies that first to react. And so we really want to tap into our bodies so we can catch those emotions before our thinking brain gets overwhelmed. Cause that's usually what happens. You think of in an accident, right? You're coming, you see a car careening towards you, you quickly, your body kicks into gear. It's not until afterwards you're shaking, you start thinking about it, right? Our brain just doesn't, kick in our body, our physiological piece always kicks in first. And so our body can take over before we start thinking. But if we're not paying attention to our body and our thinking brain just starts getting overwhelmed, then we're not able to respond effectively. Okay. So, so that's important why we want to raise that awareness. So I'm telling kids and teens and even my adults that we are going to play detective, right? We're going to be a scientist, whatever language is most developmentally appropriate. And we're going to co collect some data. When and where do these big emotions show up? Whether it's nervousness or anger, irritation, what does it feel like in the body? That's that physiological piece. Anxiety, for example, and anger, they're usually pretty predictable, right? So we're probably going to start seeing some patterns. Every time my sister comes in, <gasps> I feel tightness here and my face goes like this, right? Almost always. So, so we can start looking at that. Now we can help them raise awareness to their thoughts. I love visuals again, right? We're going to help them be an objective observer about their thoughts. We're not getting sucked into them. We're not trying to change them. We're just being objective observers. And when we're objective observers, we can maintain better control. We can then respond in more helpful ways. That's our main goal. So one of the first things that I teach families is to identify a thought as a past, a present, or a future thought. So we just sit there. I give them a little timeline and I have them put it on their laps or on a desk or whatever in front of them. And, and they've got an arrow for the past, present, and future. And then whenever a thought comes up, I just want them to point on the timeline. Is that a current thing? Oh, I feel hungry. Present. My brother woke me up early, past. I'm worried about my test, future, right? So it's just being able to categorize where on that timeline does that come in? We're not getting sucked away with it. It's just letting it come, identifying it as a past, present, or future, and then kind of going on there. And again, daily practice. Maybe you're doing this. Drop into the body. Let's do a timeline for 30 seconds, right? Just getting into that practice so they get used to allowing thoughts to come and go by just noticing them and noticing where on the timeline they fit. It's not getting carried away with them, not getting you know distracted by them. It's just being able to be that objective observer. So that's a great way to do it. It's something that we can all do super easy and we can do it as a family, right? And the more kids can become those objective observers with their thoughts, the less they're gonna spiral out of control.
because that amygdala, when it wants to take over, it wants to take over our rational thinking brain. And like I've said in previous episodes, our thinking brain becomes completely immune to any rational thought. And so that's why we can't simply say it's not a big deal, kiddo, because for them, that amygdala, it's an emergency. Fire, fire, fire. We got to get out of here, right? So we got to get them to be an objective observer of what's going on because it's usually that amygdala triggers the prefrontal cortex to then have those worried thoughts that's just sending more feedback to the fire alarm back to the amygdala. See, it really is an emergency. And that's why we spiral, right? And so we want we want to be as proactive. And that's why we talk about this front loading. We're not addressing the emotions yet. Right now, we're just teaching the skill of being an objective observer, being able to be self-aware of what's going on for ourselves. So I'll leave it there for today. Um, this, this week, I'm focusing on raising awareness. What does the body feel like when calm? We want to start making predictions when that pesky amygdala is going to be taken over by the henchmen. You know, the henchmen are going to ring that alarm. The amygdala is going to make us freak out or get angry. When is that going to happen? How is it going to show up in the body? What are some of the conspiracy theories that our, our, our little henchmen are going to want to spin so that we get angry and get into trouble or that we get anxious and can't go to sleep at night? So we want to start focusing on those. So Thank you for joining me today. Um, next week, I'll get into a little bit more about those different parts of the emotion and raising self-awareness as well. I'm also now part of Patreon. Uh, so for people who want to join the membership of Patreon, I've got extra bonus materials that you would have access to, and there's different levels and so different types of access to the different resources that I have. And of course, I've got my anxiety compass training program. So definitely check those out if you're interested, but have a lovely day, go help kids be bold and courageous, and I will see you next week.